Welcome back to another episode of Coats in Conversation, where we have discussion around lifestyle, mental health, and educational topics. I'm your host, Kendrick Coates, but before we get started in today's episode, be sure to go out and like and subscribe to Coats in Conversation on YouTube. You can also find all Coats in Conversation podcast episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast episodes. This episode, just before we get started, uh, this was recorded a few months ago. I, I, I've i been busy, y'all, uh, with grad school, trying to just maintain my own mental health and just trying to take care of all of my responsibilities. So I'm a little late getting this episode out. And this episode was with Griffin Nee. And Griffin Nee is an athlete who I used to work with. So Griffin and I started working, I think it was about 2015 or 2016. And for those that aren't aware or just don't know, I spent about 10 years in the health and fitness, sports performance and coaching world. And so that's how Griffin and I originally connected. And he was wanting to, you know, build more muscle, some more speed as a, as a golfer. And so it's been really cool. And I'm excited for y'all to hear this episode because I'm on the other side of it from, you know, working with Griffin as a coach to now listening to his story and his experiences. Now me being an intern marriage and family therapist. So it's been, it's, it's really cool that I've been able to watch Griffin's growth over the years and just seeing how his mentality has helped him not only in sports, but as he now goes into the workforce. Um, so again, with that being said, please go out, like, and subscribe to Coats and Conversation. It really helps me grow what it is that I'm doing here. I have a strong passion in having discussions around mental health, especially when it comes to athletes. Again, I spent so many years as being an athlete and being a coach and sports performance trainer that I saw so many different things that athletes went through and then even me as a coach. And so trying to have more and more of these conversations to bring mental health to the forefront of athletics is one of my goals. So I hope y'all enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with Griffin. And Griffin, Nee, how are you doing today, man? It's good to see you. Hey, how's it going, Kendrick? Uh, yeah, so just at home right now, like you said, I'm a college athlete right now. I'm at Millican University in Decatur, Illinois. And right now I'm on winter break still. I go back to school next week for my second half of the senior season. Um, we're For golf, um, we're gearing up for the spring season, which includes, you know, a couple tournaments as well as our conference tournament at the end of the year. Uh, that's kind of like our regional or our sectional, however you want to call it, that de determines, you know, where we go after that. So for us, it just works conference and then the national tournament, very competitive at our level. It doesn't necessarily work like, like other sports. So we really have one shot at this, you know, at the end of every season. And I'm just really excited to, to kind of finish the work that we've put in the last year, get all geared up with the team and, and see what we can do. Nice, nice. You said you're on uh, holiday break. I'm, I'm sure you've been catching up on on sleep and some some relaxation time. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I've been sleeping. I've been trying to get eight hours, which is, you know, rare at school. I, I rarely get to do that every night. It's been nice. 
kind of not having to set an alarm clock every day. Um, it's been kind of an adjustment for sure, being away from school and, you know, keep myself busy, keep myself active as well, trying to stay in shape. You know, we get six months out of every year to not being competitive golf, not being a competitive environment. And having that break has really helped me, you know, just reflect on some things. And like we're going to talk about, get my mental health kind of in a better place before going back out there and starting the year. Yeah, I, f- I feel you on that. There's those breaks are, oh my goodness, they're, they're like the greatest thing on earth when you just have some downtime to just kind of relax. But you mentioned competitive golf. And I before we get into uh, our first question, did you check out Charlie and, and Tiger in the PNC championship a few weeks ago? I did. Yeah, that was on my TV pretty much as much coverage as I could take in that weekend. It, it's just so cool to see him kind of in a different light. Like I grew up with Tiger as a role model, obviously, you know, being one of, if not the greatest golfer to ever play the game and seeing him not, you know, in a major championship environment, not in tournament atmosphere, like being a dad, kind of being more vulnerable than we've ever seen him. Uh, that's just been really cool and really exciting for the golf community as a whole, just to have, have our, our role model, our leader uh, kind of on the screen like that and in a different light. Yeah. And, and there's, I mean, there's been for so long, I mean, during Tiger's peak or his heyday, it was almost like you just weren't able to get into, to know who Tiger really was. And so being able to see him play with his son, it, it, it almost brings in a, a, a different element or a different personality of Tiger that I think many of us were wanting, but we never really got to see because he was just so competitive and just so driven and so focused in on it for lack of better words, crushing his competition. So, so it is cool um, to see, but uh, going over to, to our first question. And, and I think it's um, important just to give context to, to our viewers and listeners. How, how did you first get involved in the sport of golf? Yeah. So I've been around golf pretty much my whole life. Um, I grew up in Pontiac, Illinois, small town, uh, about an hour and a half south, south of Chicago. Uh, surrounded by cornfields, you know, a little blink and you miss it town. But my family originally, we grew or we lived sort of by the golf course, not directly on it. But my next door neighbors were actually nice enough that they lived on the 12th hole of my home course growing up. You know, was, they were nice enough to let me cut through their backyard every night and just kind of go hit chips and putts whenever I wanted to. And, you know, being just an eight year old kid, it's more of a more of a relaxing thing just to have fun, you know, kind of an adventure. But I really didn't get into competitive golf until I was about 12, you know, played my first tournament. Uh, when I was 12 or 13, uh, just in town, the little Pontiac Junior Open, I think is what it was called. And then kind of going from there, uh, my eighth grade year in Pontiac, they started the jun- the Illinois Junior High Series, played in the sectional in the state tournament there and at that point you know it's kind of more just getting kids to be familiar with the game and kind of get familiar with the competitive atmosphere more than anything I had already kind of had a little bit of a jump on the game of golf and kind of being familiar with you know just playing around so that kind of gave me a boost or you know an edge up on getting into the competition aspect of things. 
So then going into high school, um, I'd already been in contact with the coach at Pontiac High School at that point and was just an immediate impact to the program. And that's not like a brag or anything. It's just kind of more like my level of the game has always kind of been, I don't want to say higher than everybody else, but I definitely had that edge as far as, you know, the competitive side of things. That's you, when you say that, as far as your, your level of competition or where you saw yourself with the golf, that's one of the one things when we first started working, I know, I just always was appreciative of your focus and your dedication to your craft of, you know, wanting to get, cause I think when we first met, you weren't very big. And, and so one of your things is like, how do, how do we get stronger? How do we get faster? Um, or how do we get to you, you to that point to where you can actually have drives that were competitive? And so going from, you know, eight years old, being able to practice on the golf course, chipping and putting to then moving into junior high, high school and having this sort of, um, I call it, you know, mama mentality or, or Tiger Woods mentality of you want to be competitive, you want to be good. And so when you were going through that phase, did you ever have any long-term goals or did you have an idea that you'd eventually play collegiate golf when you first started at eight years old? Yeah. You know, being a young kid, like this is kind of one thing that I had to think about when, you know, you asked me to be on this podcast today is looking back, you know, being a young kid, you're always kind of focused on, you hear about division one and you hear about going professional, playing on the PGA tour, or, you know, going to the NBA, NFL for other sports. And that was always kind of the goal for me. It's more of a vision than anything is I wanted to compete at the highest level. That was always like my drive, my motivation. I always wanted to be the best. Like I wanted to be like Tiger. I wanted to be like Rory. And even though that wasn't necessarily like feasible for me as an athlete in the long run, it almost felt like a settlement more than anything, just kind of in the society that we live in right now, kind of the standards that we put on athletes, like going division three is not necessarily the most attractive thing in the world, but looking back over the last four years, it's been one of the better experiences that I've ever had and exceeded my expectations through and through. It's been more intense than I expected to say the least, you know, you see division one, you hear about their training regimens, you, you hear about everything they have to do on a daily basis. And that's still happening at a D2 at a D3 level, even at NAIA and JUCO. It's still something that athletes kind of have to like balance between, you know, their academics, their workouts, their actual practice for their sport. And even though I didn't end up at that division one level, it's still been a very similar experience. And, you know, right now makes me look back at that eight-year-old kid that was messing around on the golf course and seems as though like he accomplished his goal. He got to play at the collegiate level. He's been, you know, traveling around the region, local Midwest tournaments, you know, seeing some cool golf courses, seeing some cool places, which at the end of the day, that's kind of why we, why I got into the sport in the first place was not necessarily to have that division one title on my name, I guess, to say that for lack of a better word, but you know, this small town environment, seeing the path that I've taken, you know, the last eight years since being a freshman in high school. And one thing that I've talked about, you know, with some buddies, with some mentors a little bit is the whole idea that 
I try to have that chip on my shoulder mentality whenever I can, whenever I'm competing, whenever I'm training, whatever it may be. Just coming from a small town, not having a lot of people believe in you, not having a lot of people expect, like, who's this kid from Pontiac that, you know, is getting division one looks, getting offers to play here, offers to play there, you know, getting national recognition. That's just one thing that's kind of driven me over my entire athletic career is trying to prove people people wrong more than anything is showing what I can do, what I'm capable of, and still being at the division three level, like I said. I think I've accomplished that to a certain extent. That's awesome, man. And and to hear, I, I, I get kind of like goosebumps because the same things that you talk about is having this mentality of, you know, wanting to excel at whatever it is that we do, but then also having that chip on our shoulders that we want to be the best. We want to basically c- crush competition. And that's not, that's no, that, that's not a negative um, term or or uh, being dismissive of of others that are in the sport that we play. It's just the mentality that I think you have to have if you want to excel at the highest level. I'm kind of curious when you you mentioned you know you've always had a chip on your shoulder, and I know it wasn't necessarily in the questions, but was is that chip on the shoulder? Did it come from uh, you being the the smaller golfer in in many of the groups that you were playing with? Yeah, that's one thing that I forgot to say that I was about to bring up is, you know, me being I'm 5'7", 130 pounds. I don't look like the typical athlete. Like I'm not going to go out there and play basketball. I'm not going to go out there and play football and be, you know, similar sizes to what we expect of athletes today. And, you know, I guess if I had, you know, really been determined, really fell in love with one of those games, it probably would have been the same story. I probably would have still wanted to go out there and prove that, you know, a kid that's 5'7 can play some of these more physical contact sports. It just happened that I fell in love with golf. And even though, you know, we see on the PGA tour, like a typical athlete now, really the trends have been, you have to get stronger. You have to hit the ball farther. And the, the thing that we refer to as short game. So, you know, you're chipping, you're putting, your touch around the greens. That's, not taking a backseat, but it's definitely less emphasized today in the game. So from when I started playing, that was really enough emphasis that, you know, even I've talked with you about it when we were training together, I've talked with like my swing coaches about it. I've talked with my school coaches about it. That's one thing that I really had to get good at. I didn't have a choice there is just with what I was given, you know, my frame, my build, I was never going to be the biggest kid out there I was never going to be the longest kid out there but one story that I kind of like to tell is that when I was I think my sophomore year in high school I was playing on a team with four other senior varsity starters I was the only underclassman that got taken into the roster at that point and a lot of those guys like we'll talk about this later have been my mentors over the years. I'm still in contact with a lot of them, even though, you know, they're off in their careers at this point and I'm still an undergrad. But one thing that we've kind of talked about is when I played in that tournament, you know, as a a 15 year old sophomore, I was the smallest kid in that group by far. And even when kids would see me step and still see me now step on the first tee, to get ready for the tournament and I'm 
six inches shorter than everybody, probably 50 pounds lighter than everybody. We're still going head to head for the next five hours over the next 18 holes. And while my, my driving, my distance off the tee, you know, my, my overall strength for the game may not be at the same level as everybody else that I'm competing against. I've made sure that, you know, the chipping, the putting, like I just said, has been at a level that's above everybody else. That's kind of how I make up for it. I make up for my size. And that's just the way that it's been taught to me. It's been preached to me over the years is that's something that you have to be good at. And another story that I'm going to tell real quick is my cousin played at Illinois Wesleyan, which interesting enough is our main rival, you know, Milliken and Wesleyan as far back as I can remember, as far back as anybody can tell me has always been in this very heated head-to-head rivalry being 45 minutes away, same conference, always at a national level, whatever sport you look at. And when we grew up playing, you know, not knowing that I'd end up at Milliken, he was another one of these mentors that kind of taught me the game, gave me some guidance on how to take my game to the next level. And he grew up with Nick Hardy, who's now a member on the PGA Tour. I believe he's out in Hawaii this week playing in the Sony Open. He's again a guy that's undersized. You see him on a PGA tournament. He's shorter than everybody physically and off the tee. And again, he's playing in a PGA Tour tournament right now. He's a full-time member. And the one thing that he always talked about growing up was the same thing, how he didn't hit it as far as everybody. He was never the guy that people were intimidated of within a competitive environment. But his short game was just so good growing up that as soon as he hit his growth spurt, you know, he got stronger in college at um, Illinois, I believe, got stronger after he graduated, you know, first out on the tour. Now he's he's just average in driving distance, average in length off the tee. And he's top 25 players, I believe, in putting, in chipping, and strokes gained in those areas. So while there's not like one approach that I've, you know, seen be successful in not only collegiate golf, but also like at the professional level, I've kind of adjusted to that, used that mentality of, I'm going to approach the game different. You know, I am not the stereotypical golfer, not the kid that you typically see playing competitive golf. And that's given me like the drive, given me the motivation to adjust my game in a way that I'm using what I was given to take my game to the next level. And I think that's the, the important piece in there is being able to adapt to your competition and being able to find ways to win versus your competition. Again, I remember, I think we played a couple rounds years back and I just noticed, I mean, you weren't the, the, the longest hitter by any means of players that I've played with in the past, but your putting and chipping were consistent every single hole. And I was like, how the hell is this kid doing this? But it, and it was just so consistent and you just kept on grinding, kept on grinding, kept on grinding. And so that's a testament to all of the work that you put in with, you know, your, your coaches and the mentality that you have. I want to know at what specific age did you understand that you could actually be good at this sport and compete at a high level? Yeah, that's a great question. So I really had to like bring myself to the present and kind of reflect on the last couple of years of 
of my golf career, where I'm at now, you know, what's brought me to this point in time that I'm playing D3 golf at Milliken. And that's been something that's been really hard for me is staying present, not only in life and daily life, but also on the golf course. I get really, I tend to get really ahead of myself, think about the result, think about, you know, things that have affected me in the past, when really the most proven way for an athlete to perform, no matter what sport it is, is to stay in the present situation, the present environment, and whoever has the ability to like bring themselves back and just kind of focus on what's in front of them is going to have the edge. So, you know, like I just said, these are transferable skills. Like I use these in my daily life, or at least I try to. So having to kind of reflect on this was good for me. And there's one point in time that I can pinpoint over the last couple of years and tell you, this is when I started to have expectations of, about where I could go in golf. So I had a swing coach, which is kind of a loose term because when you're 13 years old, you're pretty much just trying to learn how to make contact with the golf ball. But I had a swing coach in Pontiac. Uh, my dad would drive me after school and go work with him. His name was Tyler Mills. He was at Wolf Creek in Pontiac. And, you know, like I said, we're primarily working on how to make contact with the ball, how to you know, create a repetitive motion that's going to produce results as a 13-year-old kid. And after every lesson, he would look at me and he would tell me, good work today, you know, the typical end of a session that you have with the coach. But the one thing he would add is he would look at me and he'd tell me that you have potential. That's all he would say. He said, you had potential. And going home, you know, on the drive home from that lesson or whatever week it was, it took me a while to understand what that meant. Like him saying that to me, you know, obviously showed he had confidence in me, gave me the push to keep going and keep trying to improve and keep training. But until I got to high school, until I got to, you know, my freshman or sophomore year in college, I really didn't know what he meant by you have potential. And seeing now how that has influenced me, how that's impacted my my mentality and approaching the game that's given me just those com that little comment has given me the confidence and the i mean the motivation in my work ethic in how i approach the game how i approach my training no matter what it is you know maybe it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy i think that's what it's called but him telling me that I had potential actually, you know, gave me the, um, the limit to what I could do. It showed me, you know, you're, you have to keep working to get better, obviously, but it also showed me that there is a path, you know, at that point, I thought there was a path to, to division one athletics, but like I said, accomplishing the goal of playing collegiate athletics, that had a significant role in just pushing me to keep going and pushing me to be the best athlete that I could be there, man, there's, there's a lot of power in, in what you just said, because I think that is, that just shows you how powerful our mentors, our teachers, our coaches are is just that one thing of saying you have potential. And although it may have taken you a little while to understand, like, 
oh, this is what my coach Tyler was talking about. I have potential in this. Now you, from what I've, I've heard, now you are able to take that just one little statement, not only use it in sports, but then as you transition into, you know, your career, but what did, what did you feel when it, when it all clicked with you of, oh, I do have potential. Do you remember like what specific feeling that you had? Yeah, I don't really think it was a specific feeling or like a specific point in time, really. Um, but I remember at some point, I think it was my sophomore year at Milliken. So post high school, everything that I accomplished there, uh, kind of getting acclimated to the collegiate environment. I was in a, sl- a really bad slump. You know, you, they call it the sophomore slump. It's a real thing. I went through it. And just a few struggles on and off the golf course, I really had to sit back and think about what what my goals were at that point in time. I don't really know that I had any and what I wanted to accomplish, you know, going forward for the next two years. And this was during the COVID-19 pandemic as well. So there's a lot going on at this point, but I wasn't traveling on the weekends with the team that took a big hit on my mental as well. But in kind of reflecting on myself as an athlete and my career and everything that I've gone through, you know, through high school at this point, I really just had to appreciate the fact that of where I was at that point in time, you know, I'm, I have the support of, you know, my coaches at Milliken at that point, we had our head coach that recruited me as well as a grad assistant that did really good work uh, that one year considering everything that was going on. But yeah, it wasn't just one like big emotional wave that hit me. It was kind of over time of me just gaining an appreciation for the situation that I was in, um, figuring out a plan of moving forward for where I wanted to be in the future. And seeing sitting here now as a senior, having sort of figured it out of what I needed to do at that point, you know, getting used to the elevated amount of training and work that goes into being a college athlete. It really just took me realizing that I had to be grateful, had to be appreciative of the things that I'd been given, the opportunities I've been given to, you know, improve myself, not only as an athlete, but off the golf course as well. That's awesome. There's in, in you'd mentioned kind of, um, being in that space of, of being grateful, which I think there's, that's so important. We sometimes get so far ahead of ourselves that we forget the blessings that we have right in front of us going kind of switching gears. Um, and I know the, the main talk that I wanted to have with you today was centered around mental health. So as you go back and, and reflect on high school golf, and your collegiate experience going from high school to college what kind of transition did you have getting acclimated to the new schedule competition training a, a new lifestyle um, what would you go through yeah initially uh, my freshman year in college I thought I had it all figured out I you know it, college comes with this new sense of independence and you know obviously a new schedule like you said and a new training um, environment and that level of expectation, if we're being honest. But that whole year leading up to the pandemic in the spring, so we were actually on spring break my freshman year, our our training trip, when 
everyone got sent home for lockdown. But at that point in time, I thought I had this whole college athlete thing figured out. I thought that what I was doing in training, you know, even from uh, any influences or coaches I had in high school, I thought that what I was doing on the golf course with, you know, my new college coach was good enough, I guess. But come with that with that pandemic and seeing what happened the next two years in my career, there was a wake up call waiting for me that I didn't necessarily expect. I, you you hear about it a little bit from college athletes of the past, you know, preaching to these, you know, younger high school, junior high athletes of what's waiting for them at college. For those of us that are lucky enough to get to that level, and you don't really know what that's going to look like. It's a very individualized experience for everybody. What you go through transitioning from the high school level to the college level. And I don't know if it was, you know, just typical academic routines that came with my school, with my program, or just good resources that have kind of gone away since then. But there was a point in time my sophomore year, and I've mentioned that a couple of times in the last couple of minutes. But at that point, I really started struggling. I really started struggling on the golf course, off the golf course, in the classroom, you know, even in social environments. There was just a lot that hit me post-COVID that I didn't necessarily know how to deal with. So at that point, I'm not scared to admit that I reached out to um, the counseling service. We have a really good health clinic and mental health counseling and training service at Milliken, free to students that kind of helped me through a couple of these things. And really, it was just good to have somebody to talk to at that point. It's not necessarily that they were telling me what to do, or that a coach specifically reached out and said, you know, here's a training plan. Because at the end of the day, this was something that I had to figure out for myself. This was something I had to kind of work through on my own, figure out, again, where I wanted to be down the road, and what it was going to take to get there. The pandemic, I think, hit a lot of people in so many different ways that a lot of us weren't even prepared to deal with all of the emotions. And I don't know if baggage is, is the right way to say it, but it forced many of us to slow down, stop, and actually sit in a lot of feelings that we had probably otherwise had been ignoring for years. Did when you were going through that process of of reaching out to a counselor, was it an easy process? And if so, you know, was it more of just like a phone call, email? How'd that process go? And the reason I asked that is because I think if there are athletes listening to this podcast, I think one of the first questions that comes up is, well, how do I go about contacting somebody? So can you kind of explain your your experience with reaching out to the counselor and how how was that process for you? Yeah, so I guess I should sort of clarify this. This was not athletic-based. This was just the, the Millican University Health Clinic with one of the hospitals in town for where you go when you're sick or where you go if you have an emergency. But the counseling service that they offer through the hospital is for, it's open to all students, whoever you know, maybe struggling with their academics or whoever may be struggling with a certain um, social group on campus, anything like that. So working with the clinic, I guess is what I'm going to call it here. 
Um, the scheduling process is very simple. So you can either walk in and make an appointment, talk to somebody directly. If you know you're really struggling, you really need somebody to talk to at that point in time, or you can go in through your university student portal. There's a little tab um, that you can either make like a health appointment or you can make a counseling appointment. And it's really student-based. It's whenever the student has time, feels like they have the time to meet with a counselor. And again, there's more options to making an appointment as well. You can pick who you want to talk to. You can pick one environment. So you can do a Zoom call. You can do a phone call. You can do the emergency hotline, or you can go in in person. And this existed before COVID too. So I went in a few times my freshman year as well. And uh, that was in person still. But then moving into the pandemic, they transitioned more to an online virtual experience. Um, I don't know right now how it currently works, but I know for some students, the pandemic brought more time commitments than anything, more things they had to do on campus. So having that virtual option just to use from your apartment, from your dorm, definitely still gets used. Um, I know for me personally, having the in-person experience was, I felt was more beneficial, just having an hour of one-on-one -on -one time with somebody, take that one hour out of my day to kind of relax and you know, reflect on what was happening that week or what was happening that month or whatever. And not to say that a Zoom call wouldn't be, you know, effective in any more than an in-person would be or any less than an in-person would be. But those sessions that those sessions can, even though they're only an hour, can really go a long way for a student's experience. You know, you know, whether it's an athlete or whether it's somebody, you know, a communications major or a nursing student or a pre-med student. Anything like that, anybody can reach out, and those counselors are very good at working with you through whatever you may be dealing with. I just want to take the time to appreciate you being vulnerable and, and sharing that because it's, I think before this call we were talking about, it's it's not an easy topic for really anybody to talk about, but us men specifically, because there's this stigma in our society that if we go to therapy, then we are weak, but that's not the case. There are many things that many of us men go through, you know, the expectations, especially for you, the expectations of being uh, a high level golfer at your university on top of, you know, maintaining your academics. And then on top of that, transitioning into a whole, a completely new environment, which is different from coming from Pontiac, Illinois to, you know, Millican University, where there's just so many different things going on. What, at what point did you know that there was something wrong and you needed to reach out to a counselor? And the reason I asked that question is because many athletes and people in general don't know the feelings that they're having. So can you kind of clarify what specifically, you know, alarmed you that hey, I, 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 might, I might need to go and talk to somebody? Yeah, again, it wasn't necessarily like one point in time. It was kind of a, a buildup or a process to getting to the point where, you know, my mental state got to the point where it was like, okay, you need to do something. Like you can't go through your days feeling like this anymore. And 
for me personally, it was kind of just getting overwhelmed, getting, I, I always have kind of been prone to get down on myself a lot, whether it's on the golf course or whether it's, you know, with school or anything like that. And really just took, again, like I said, you know, not traveling with the team that really took a hit on this point in my life. It sent me kind of in a, into a downward spiral of, um, like I said, just getting overwhelmed on a daily basis, you know, not necessarily knowing what to do, kind of getting lost in schoolwork, kind of among of getting, you know, training and workouts in as well. Like at that point, it was just, there was a lot happening in my life that I didn't know necessarily how to deal with, you know, on my own. So when I felt like, you know, when the team leaves on the weekend, you know, those are my best friends that I live with, that I hang out with every day, do homework with, you know, when they're leaving on the weekends, it's just me and a few other teammates staying for practice, staying for to catch up on homework or whatever it is. So at that point, it's kind of, I needed to find someone new to talk to, even if it wasn't like me specifically looking for anything or looking for a specific piece of advice. It was just kind of me to, again, reflect on what was going on and how I wanted to move forward. Yeah. And I think that there's even, you know, whether it be you've got your team traveling and you're back practicing or even athletes who get injured and are no longer traveling with the team. I think there's us athletes, there's this sense of, well, what about me? Did you all forget about me? And well, am I not important anymore? You know, those are, I know for me, when I was injured, those were some of the feelings that I had. And it's like, it's not that I'm, forgotten it's like hey i'm injured and i can't play or it's like hey for this game or this competition these are the people have who have been chosen to compete and so those dealing with a lot of those feelings especially coming from a from the high school level where you're involved in almost every competition and then going from well i'm kind of left out those are feelings that are sometimes like you said overwhelming and it is nice to have somebody there that is supporting us, but also talking us through some of the feelings that we may be going through. Um, kind of transitioning into, so you've, we've gone high, high school, we've gone college, and I know you'd mentioned that, you know, golf isn't necessarily top of the list right now because you have some other opportunities. How have you transitioned into, I guess I would say, life after golf? Yeah, so... A lot of these skills that I've kind of talked about in dealing with mental health, dealing with training, dealing with, you know, just overall life in general. Um, a lot of the things that I've learned through my athletic career are transferable to my academics or how I'm going to, you know, work for a firm in the future. So I'm an accounting and finance major. And kind of what I'm looking at right now is working for an accounting consulting firm, uh, hopefully on a national level, uh, one of the big four companies and kind of what they look for to a lot of the qualifications or things that they look for in a candidate are actually trending to be teamwork based. It's very soft skills, not necessarily like technical anymore. It's not what, what was your GPA in college? What was your test scores? A lot of what they look for now is how can you work in a team? How do you work around other people? And 
what are you going to bring to the workplace? So, you know, being on a team, Division Three at Milliken, a lot of the skills that I've learned in working with my teammates, you know, becoming my best friends still, and you know, being in an in an environment that is different from high school. You're not living with your family anymore, even though it may feel like it. You're not having a constant um, place or a constant setting that you go to every day. That's really going to, I feel like that's really going to help with the adjustment when I graduate, when I go on to, to actually work, you know, in a formal workplace instead of just a team setting or a classroom. So a lot of what I've worked on with myself is my mental health on the golf course, you know, obviously has, has to be at a peak if I expect to perform and expect to compete at, at a high level. But going back to campus, you know, going to class every day throughout the week, I try to take things that I learned on the golf course over the weekend in whatever tournament we're playing in and find a way to apply that as a student. Um, whether that's, you know, working through adversity, you know, something goes wrong on the golf course and around, um, building on skills, you know, constantly improving, uh, time management, anything like that. I've really tried to, you know, you want to keep things separate to a certain extent. You want to keep your athletics and your performance and your training separate from what's going on in the classroom and vice versa. But at some point in time, you really have to think and you really have to consider how everything that you're doing, everything you're involved in is going to help you in your career, in your future athletics, um, anything of that sort going forward in whatever path you choose to take. I think that goes back to even when you mentioned kind of the vision of playing professional or D1, I think a lot of athletes, whether it's golf, baseball, football, get into this mindset of. I have to play division one football, basketball, golf, whatever. And then when that doesn't happen, it's like, oh crap, what now? By you saying you competed at a high level at the division three level, and you've been able to gain all of these skills that are transferable into your career, there's just power in that because I think that there's maybe 1% that make it to professional competition for the other, you know, 98, 99%. It's like, okay, what's, what's life after golf? So I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative that you mentioned those things because I think it's sometimes forgotten with a lot of athletes these days. So, so when it comes to mental health, what piece of advice would you give any other collegiate golfer out there that is going through their own mental health struggles? That's afraid to mention it to a coach or family member. Yeah, that's another great question. And one thing I kind of, from what you just said, is my transition from high school to college, obviously, that's something I've been through already, something I've had to work through and talked about here. But my transition from college golf to now being a professional in the workplace, I, was, I don't have any plans to turn professional, no offers to go to the PGA Tour or live or anything. Um, that's something that Again, I don't really know what to expect going forward. That I'm planning to graduate this semester, um, May of 23. And I've heard, again, a lot of people come before me talk about how it feels to not have the sport to turn back to every day, not having that training, not having that very structured schedule. 
And again, I don't necessarily know if I believe them fully or not. I that's just something that I'm going to have to figure out, you know, within the next couple months of what's this actually going to look like? How's this actually going to feel? So as far as, you know, being a current college athlete, you know, maybe this is something that you've thought about or have experienced already. But the biggest thing is you should find a support system, whether that's your teammates or a mentor, a coach, you know, maybe somebody in the athletic department, a trainer or an office manager, even like a front desk receptionist, anything like that, that you should feel comfortable talking to about this this level of stuff that's going on in your life. You know, I, I mentioned counseling, if you have that at your school, or if you have something like that, like in your work, um, I highly advise using that. That's if you're ever, you know, struggling that you feel you need somebody to talk to, or you need a different perspective on things. But the biggest thing for me was I had to just get over that fear of wanting to deal with this on my own. I'm a very individual person. I wanted to keep a lot of things private. I like to work through things on my own, just, you know, maybe that's an ego thing or whatever. But when things got tough enough for me that it felt like I wasn't, you know, performing or studying at the level that I expected of myself, I really had to reach out, find somebody that I was comfortable, you know, that was a counseling clinic for me, obviously, they're, they're trained professionals in this. But even if you don't have something like that, that kind of a resource, find somebody around you that, you know, will listen, maybe not give you advice or anything, but just will sit down and talk with you for however long you need it. And, you know, if you have a coach or a mentor or something that isn't uh, kind of gives you a negative outlook on things, like just isn't helping this in any sort of way, kind of making things worse, then that's a different conversation to have. That's definitely something to kind of look at within your support system. Like I've said, you know, build something that you can have to rely on. And if there's some type of influence in your life that, you know, you're stuck between having this person to talk to or having this person actually harm you mentally. Again, that's a different conversation that you can have with, you know, somebody that you trust. I appreciate the advice there, especially the part where you mentioned, you know, sometimes as athletes, we don't always get the dealt the right hand of, you know, having great coaches that are supportive. And I think, you know, that's, again, it is a different conversation because I've heard too many stories time and time again of either coaches when it comes to female athletes, body shaming athletes. I've seen where male coaches have basically talked down and and just plain out disrespectful to their male and female athletes. And these things are happening, but these things will continue to happen if one, we don't speak up about it. And then secondly, we also have to make sure that we find, like you said, Griffin, finding our support system so that if those situations do happen, we're at least comfortable enough to go and talk to somebody about it. So I appreciate you sharing that information. One thing that I kind of forgot to, to touch on here was, you know, obviously mental health is the most important thing. You have to be comfortable. You have to be um, not satisfied necessarily, or you just want to be 
um, content with where you're at in any given situation. And from an athletics standpoint, um, you won't be able to perform at your highest level if your mental health is uh, harmed or um, broken down in any way. And one thing that I kind of wanted to bring up is I saw yesterday on the news the the Stanford women's soccer player mm, yeah. um, that committed suicide last year. And that's just one example of the system that we're kind of in right now of, um, you know, she was, per- she was performing at a division one level starter, I believe that, you know, doing everything she possibly can as a college athlete, I'm sure to get that spot. And at the end of the day, you know, her mental health was not in the place that it should have been for a student or for as a person in general. Yeah, that that's a great statement right there, Um, because this is it seems to and I don't know if social media has anything to do with it, but it seems like these situations are happening, happening more frequently. Um, One last question I have for you, when you were in that situation of you deciding to actually go and get help, what would have made that easier for you to seek out a counselor far before you actually, I would, I don't know if rock bottom is the correct term to use, but what would have helped you in that situation or that environment for you to go and get, seek a counselor sooner than you did? No. Yeah. I was really lucky. Um, all things considered my teammates, friends, roommates, everyone that was kind of around me when I brought up the idea of going to the counseling service, they were all supportive of it. You know, they encouraged me to do that. They encouraged me to have somebody talk to. And, you know, if I really felt that I needed it, you know, they were all uh, in favor of it. But, you know, for somebody that maybe doesn't have that, uh, I think it's just the overall stigma. You know, we hear the words therapy and we hear the word, um, we hear the phrase mental health and everything that kind of is is associated with that i think more than anything some people are just scared to admit um at some level that they might need help or that they might need somebody to talk to um again i'm not really a professional or an expert in this sort of thing but just from my experience having you know a supportive group of people around me that really helped just to kind of push me to to uh find an outlet for everything that was going on that's awesome griffin powerful conversation here again i appreciate it but i can't let you go without getting into our lightning round of questions i've got four questions for you um just the first thing that that comes to mind um first question tea time do you prefer morning or afternoon mm, that's a tough one um typically i'm not a morning person i like to sleep in but uh you can't beat a quick round in the morning when no one's out there so i i gotta go with the morning tea time true i like it the most consistent golf club in your bag right now most consistent uh probably the putter it's the thing i'm most we're going through some swing changes right now uh, making some pretty big adjustments before, before the spring and the putter is really the only thing that I'm not messing around with. So nice, uh, fast or slow greens, mm, fast greens every day. 
<laughs> so much I easier like fast screens too. <laughs> so much, so much easier to put on. Yeah, for sure. And my final question, you get to have dinner with your favorite golfer for one hour. Who is it that you sit down with and what one question would you ask them? That's tough. That's so tough. Okay. Um, I think I got to go with Rory McIlroy and we're going to talk about how to win the masters next year. Nice. Nice. Yeah. He had the, uh, was it, what year was that when he had the meltdown? He's had a couple of them and they've, they've hurt me the same every, every year, but I'm hoping this, I'm hoping 23 is the year. I I really am. I'd love to see him win it. Yeah, for sure. It'd be nice to get him in a green jacket. Griffin Nee, man, again, I appreciate you coming on and having this vulnerable conversation and sharing your story and your experiences. Like I said, I think there are many athletes out there, not only in golf, but just in all other sports that have these similar experiences with mental health, that it can be kind of difficult to go and talk to a counselor or even mention something to a coach or friends. And so with that being said, I highly encourage if you are an athlete out there and you are going through some type of mental health struggle or performance struggle to please find somebody to talk to. That could be a teammate, that could be a coach, that could be a family member, that can be a trained professional. There's so much value in going to talk about mental health struggles. And as Griffin mentioned, if your mental health isn't right, you won't be able to perform at a peak level, which is so important as a college athlete. So again, Griffin, I appreciate the time that you took with me today. Um, If you are listening and watching Be sure to like and subscribe to Coats in Conversation on YouTube, Instagram, and then any podcast platform that you get your episodes from. We enjoyed you. We appreciate you. And until next time, have a good one. Thanks for having me.